Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. If you can't measure it, you can't evaluate it. For any business, this is an important step in mitigating risk. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and in this series of AgVic Talk, we're taking a virtual climate bus tour to see how farmers are dealing with climate risk. Today, we're visiting two farmers who've structured their businesses in ways that enable them to tackle future challenges. Our first stop is in the Millawa, a darkra farming, run by Craig Henderson and his brother. They've got properties in different areas to help mitigate risk. For Craig, though, this all stems from his pragmatic approach of farming is a way of supporting a lifestyle. That's what it is. Some people go to university and uh, become a doctor or a surveyor or whatever to uh, give them an income to support the lifestyle they'd like to live. And hopefully over the progress over time, education levels can rise and our farming business can and also rise and support a lifestyle you choose to live. It's a very pragmatic approach though as well. Does that help bring clarity to your decision making? Yeah, we try to um, keep all emotion out of our decision making and uh, stick to the facts, which makes it a hell of a lot easier because everybody's got different emotion levels or different perspective on things. So we we stick to the facts and uh, leave the emotion at the door when we go into meetings. Well, Craig, let's talk about some of those facts. First of all, the farming operation. It's spread over a bit of an area. So where are the farms and what do you do on the properties? We're basically a broad acre farm uh, business, wheat, barley, bit of canola and legumes, lentils and peas. And we're from Brim through to Wilka, Berrawillick, and then spread over about 70 k's in the Millawa from one end to the other. So it's sort of about 1,100 k's, I suppose, to drive around the whole lot and then inspect it all in one go, yeah. That's a reasonable drive, Craig, in anybody's book to check your farm, collectively farms. Now, Craig, spread over that sort of area, you're dealing with different climate zones and and there's business diversity in there. How does farming over different climate zones help with managing climate variability? Very seldom you get a rain event right across the lot. By buying ground north of us has helped us utilise our machinery better. We can start cropping up there earlier, sowing, and then harvest usually starts a couple of weeks earlier. And then we go from uh, Werrimal through to usually Berrawillick and down to Wilco and across to Brim is sort of the time frame in, in that sort of order. Like last night, we got no rain in, in the Millawa. We've got 35 mil at Berrawillick and, and 16 at home, and, and it's been the other way several times too. So it spreads your your timing out instead of congesting it all into one area at one time if you get major rain event. Spreads your timing out, but I assume there must be a degree of spreading your risk as well. There is, yeah. We look at land and what we think the percentage return we can achieve out of it. And you'll always get a higher return on the long term in marginal country rather than safe country because there's an insurance factor factored into the um, income because it's so consistent. If you've got high rainfall, whereas lower rainfall, you'll have a lot more variabilities and up and down in your cash flow. So how we combat that and mitigate that risk is by storing grain and holding it for sometimes up to three, four years. 
whether it's legume or uh, barley in bunkers, um, we can hold about 80% of our average production now. So that helps mitigate the risk of the climate variability in the Wimmeramalli. That's a very forward-looking way of doing it. But to get to this point, though, I assume you've had to develop a bit of a business model around it to work in these different climate zones. I mean, you said it's 1,100-kilometre drive. Clearly, you're not doing it all. At the moment, we've got contract sprayers in the Millua. We've just planted up with uh, two sowing rigs to go up there. We had one there last year. Um, We run one sowing rig at home and... uh, we haven't got anyone permanent in the Millowa yet, but come Christmas we'll have at least two up there, which we find is, is critical. We really need a permanent person up there, so our nephew's coming back onto the farm and he'll run the Millowa country, and I've got two sons at home on the uh, northern Wimmera, southern Mallee country. One's basically running the operation there where our other son runs our uh, broiler farm, and then there's four staff at home. We probably need two more, but there's a shortage at the moment, so we're, we're working on that. But that's basically how we operate, and I helicopter over the top, I suppose, now, and uh, don't do a lot of day-to-day, but do a, a fair bit of management and, and do a bit of off-farm stuff. In terms of the yearly operation of those farming properties, though, Craig, how data-driven are you in terms of keeping your eye on whether it's forecast for a La Nina, El Nino, fuel prices, those clear data signals that help you make decisions about what you're going to plant or what you're not going to plant? Yeah, we run a, a reasonably tight rotation, as in we only flexible probably up to about 20% variance, but we do run a benchmarking in uh, on our properties and to identify any weaknesses we've got against our peers so that we're in a benchmarking group down here and that benchmarking organisation has 11 groups on the East Coast, so that'll then give us information, what's happening you get some basic ideas how your area is going against other areas and then you, you get a really good picture of how you're going against your peers in your region and I think that's critical. That was one of the best decisions we made as a family to take away any of the guesswork and any of the emotion. Our sons then can see exactly what they need to do, where our weaknesses are, where we need to invest. So it could be we're running too lower plant capital, where we should be running a higher plant capital and less wages or less maintenance, all these things come into it. And then your yield data on your crops, your average price, your water use efficiency, all those sort of things we monitor throughout the farm. Quite frankly, that's critical in these businesses now because, you know, you vary five or six dollars an acre on some chemical or or hectare and same on your fertiliser or your water use efficiency drops off a couple of millimetres. That equates to huge amounts of money at the end of the year. I interviewed someone recently and we were talking about benchmarking and he was saying that benchmarking against your peers is fabulous and the best benchmark you could have is your own longitudinal data, comparing your performance against your performance over years. Is that what you found as you've accumulated the data going forward? That's right. And as time goes on, we'll break each farm down. We can do that now, but we'll start looking into that. You need a bit of a, uh, you know, five years. We've got six years data now, but work out what area is producing the best, what crops are yielding the best, what sequence of crops are, are giving us the best results, and all these numbers come into it to give you a clearer picture and then the number one thing is is percentage return on assets managed and that's the critical number and if you vary you know say the top 20 percent is two percent better than the average that equates to a massive amount of money 
an asset building over a lifetime. So uh, very conscious of that. You've talked about some of the advantages of working in different climate zones in terms of the season can be spread out or the risk can be spread out. But what are some of the challenges of operating in different climate zones in terms of running your business? Because you you start three weeks earlier, you've got to have your maintenance right up to speed because you're, you're expecting more out of your machinery. And the other thing you've got to be very conscious of is you're expecting more out of staff and yourself uh, and family because your peak periods run for longer. So you've got to be conscious of that and how you manage that because OH&S is a a major thing now that you've got to be aware of on your farms and you've got to be conscious of the workload and the long period of your peak periods, say, of cropping and harvest. But what it also enables us to do down the track will be to move, say, if there's a high-pressure spraying period in the middle of it, we'll just move a spray rig up there and help, and then we can bring one back. We've also purchased a uh, selected sprayer which will be running mainly in the Millowa but we'll be able to bring it down here to the northern Wimmera Southern Mallee. Craig what do you think farmers need to be doing right now to be able to manage climate variability as best as possible? Well you've got to know your numbers number one and know what's happening in in the field to manage the variability which is could be managing variability in your income so how you market, how you store, how you buy your inputs, which is just another commodity, same as wheat, your fertiliser or your Roundup or your fuel. All those things have got to be managed. And when things are below the long-term average, you start looking at stocking up on that or storing the grain. And those things will help you mitigate the risk of uh, variable income. Craig Henderson's razor-like focus on the numbers has helped him and his brother build Darkra Farming into a resilient business. We're now going to head north of Swan Hill, where the Gleeson brothers have 18,000 hectares on which they grow cereals, legumes and hay. Gleeson farms also occasionally fatten sheep. Tim Gleeson has sought to reduce risk by adding another component to the business specifically trucking. I suppose we'd like to vertically integrate the, our um, supply chain. So we've got the logistics business, which lets me focus on marketing and also the delivery of uh, just-in-time, I suppose, the commodity side of, of our business. Uh, so it allows me to, to manage that uh, logistics side and also storage side uh, and marketing side, uh, I suppose, in a more incremental way over, over a 12-month period and uh, the trucking business is a part of that. Tim, that sounds like you've certainly focused on a particular area of the business that suits your skill set. You work it with your brother, Richie. How do you split the operation up, and does that really relate back to your skill sets? I'm sure that it does, because I think the old saying, you have to have a passion for what you're doing, and I, and I think I definitely have a passion for, for the uh, business management side and the strategic planning side of the business. Uh, in a lot of ways, we have a lot of interests off the farm as well, but my brother's um, skill set is, uh, is really in the operational side, so he's uh, great at um, managing the day-to-day activities, uh, quality control, uh, maintenance. It's another important facet to any business is looking after that side of it because um, there's a lot of loosely termed uh, business owners that, uh, that talk about, uh, you know, the importance of, of management and how you can you should be able to manage a property without actually being there but you need somebody to to be in control of that quality control all the time 
Tim, you've touched a little bit on the strategic side of things and the bigger picture. How important, though, are people's skill sets to farm business needs when trying to manage and deal with climate variability? Well, I guess um, any business or any um, management responsibility is, is nuanced to the particular duty that they have to execute. So we have uh, a skill set with our uh, workforce. So we've got our farm manager, Scott Gladman. We've got our farm mechanic. We've got uh, some other operational managers that, that all have their duties that they have to execute. And, you know, I think given that they all understand their, their roles, then they can uh, report back, give us some um, inside information on what's happening out in the paddocks or in, you know, every facet of, uh, of the farm. And so we can pre-plan or we can, uh, I suppose, manage those uh, enterprises and probably give ourselves a little bit more of a, a more accurate way of reporting that, you know, we re- really like to record uh, all of the costs associated to every option and every execution on the farm. We're pretty accountable to that. We like to know exactly where we are, what we're doing, and, and so we, we try to track that. Tim, you've been through the Harvard case study program. I'd, I'd like to find a little bit more about that. And also, how's that help matching your individual skills to your role help with the management of the farm? It's a global business. I've always maintained that we can be extremely insular given the vocation we've chosen. You know, we can isolate ourselves out on our farms and do what we do, you know, and, and just chip away and, and isolate ourselves from the world. But Given that it's a reasonable sized business, this one, I actually have to take a more of a peripheral view of, uh, of the world and understand markets and understand uh, opportunities, understand um, you know what's happening in the rest of the world from a agricultural perspective, but also from a marketing perspective. In essence, that's the reason why I got involved in the Harvard case study. It re- really reinforced my view of where we sit in Australia as, uh, as being a reasonably sophisticated, commercially relevant agricultural industry. So given all the case studies we went through, so it's um, it's exciting what's happening in Australia and agriculture, but also globally, there's that shift from that stigmatised approach about who was involved in food production, whether you had to have a great deal of uh, intellectual capability to do so, but uh, I think that's slowly changing and there's a, a better understanding of the skill sets that are required to run a successful, as a, and as I said, and reinforce a commercially relevant uh, business in Australia. Tim, the Harvard case study program, just briefly, how did that actually work and help you broaden your global view of the business that you operate? It's a week of uh, case studies that have been predetermined and pre-discussed by the people at Harvard University. So they've done the, they've done the information brief, they've documented it, and they've submitted it to all the participants to read through that brief on the actual case studies that are to be discussed. Then as a part of uh, the forum that I attended, I actually attended it online. Because it was um, it was so diversified, so it, it was uh, anything from Syngenta's uh, acquisition by Sinochem, it was Netafim's um, irrigation business out of Israel, it, it was a multitude of case studies all based around either the supply chain, whether it was to um, automation of uh, grocery delivery services in in the UK, even down to um, South America and Latin America and the McDonald's franchises that were involved down there. It was a very broad subject matter, 
but it was all based around agriculture. And it was really enlightening because it gave you more of a global perspective. I've traveled extensively throughout the world and I've always maintained that that Australia has a little bit of a cultural cringe when it comes to really understanding how well off they are and how sophisticated they are as a society compared to a lot of other places. That's only been reinforced by the Harvard program, but it's fascinating to listen to that international perspective of, of what the perceived problems are and how they differ from where we are here. In terms of your skills, it seems that you have a range of skills that are probably applicable across a number of industries. If there's a young person listening to this who loves the business strategy side as much as you do, what would you say to them about getting involved in a career in agriculture? I counted up and this is my 40th harvest. In that time, I've noticed that we've certainly destigmatised the industry and the farming fraternity somewhat. And we still have some way to go from a professional perspective. You know, there's there's always going to be those pockets where, where we need to shift people's focus. And But it's a pretty exciting time for ag. There's a lot of international investment happening in Australia. There's a lot of capital tied up now. I mean, the increase in, in capital values and the, the appreciable increase in net farm values and, and family farm values over that period of time, I can still remember my father when he actually bought his farm initial farm was $12 an acre which is about $30 a hectare and so we've moved on now quite appreciably from an asset backing base so there's a lot of money tied up in ag we're in a very commercially relevant industry so if you don't make money then there's only one way you're going to go and that's you've got to get out but the technological changes are really exciting this near infrared technology that's coming in all of uh, the abilities to actually cut costs in the business and actually manage the toxicity issues you may have with pesticide and insecticide residues, all of that sort of stuff, even down to identifying the chemistry that we use now. We can vary the chemistry so we don't have uh, or establish uh, too many resistant weeds. We didn't understand that even 10 years ago. You can track it all, all of that now with, with all your uh, cloud-based uh, software uh, recording systems. That's all becoming more integrated. So it's really exciting. All of this new technology just feeding in, you know, the blockchain technology feeding into, uh, you know, the paddock-to-plate technologies where you're going to be more accountable about the maximum and minimum residue limits in your food. Uh, and I'm just I'm just an old dinosaur now. <laughs> but for any young person that... Uh, you know, it should be really exciting for them to, to get involved. And, you know, I think it's um, it's not the, the slave trade that it used to be. There's some really good remuneration packages available for people to get involved in agriculture now. You described that really well, Tim. It has become such uh, an advanced and high-tech sector. And I'd imagine that's probably particularly important as well in terms of having the information to deal with climate variability. What do you think farmers need to be doing in terms of managing that? Well, I think farmers are the best people to actually manage climate variability because they're exposed to it every day and they always have been. The technologies that are available to to people now are actually assisting us in adapting even quicker to those variabilities and uh, and giving us the ability to, to make strategic plans for the what-ifs if we do have that variability in seasons. We've established that template and uh, the old adage is you either adapt or you die. I mean, that applies really well to farmers. And, you know, we will continue to do that. And we've seen those changes, you know, they shift from maybe more of a winter-based rainfall to a 
summer rainfall regime in our area. But, you know, I was listening to uh, an, an audio book the other day about humans have only been really active for 300,000 years. So it's only a little grain of sand in time that we, we can draw upon. So I think that um, we've evolved quite quickly in ag and we'll continue to do so. There'll be an acceleration and uh, you're seeing that with the advancement of technology. So in answer to your question, there's all sorts of uh, expectations around the problems that um, climate change will bring, but uh, I think we're ideally placed to, to be able to measure all of that with the new technology and, and adapt with new varieties, and we can analyse all that now. Lastly, on that analyse point, Tim, it seems very crucial to you. I've read a quote of yours saying, if you cannot measure it, how can you evaluate it? It seems pretty much fundamental to everything you've talked about there. <laughs> it's one of my pet hates, Drew. I mean, uh, a lot of people are very anecdotal about cost bases, very anecdotal about you know what it's cost them to grow a crop what their cost of production is of course which is a more of the broader term but a lot of times are just fooling themselves about fudging figures i mean they really need to know because when somebody asks you what your cost of production is you should be able to say well what paddock what field do you mean because it varies that much you know you've got different operational costs that go into different fields you've got different costs of chemistry to deal with uh, different weed spectrums in different paddocks. So if you can't analyse all that stuff and you can't actually measure it and then actually have the ability to have a third party look at that information, which is even more relevant now with your accountants, your joint venture partners like your banks, you know, and anybody that needs to look at your your records, whether it be uh, the relevant authorities for the Department of Ag looking at um, any herbicide issues or or, you know, any of those sort of things, you need to be able to track all that. And I don't think there's any excuse for anybody now to not get involved in more accurate record keeping. It's, it can be all done on your iPad. You can have it cloud-based. And when you establish years and years of those records, it's invaluable to any business to be able to go back and, and analyse any of those particular influences and, or things that you may have uh, thought that have influenced future production so when we finish every season every growing season we have to have the ability to look back and say have we ticked the box for improving the, the agronomic strength of the and the resilience of the farm going into the next year and and that's a part of that you need to be able to be looking at improving your productive capacity in an ongoing sense and you know that's why it's always interesting because we get pilloried sometimes by particular parts of society about being these environmental vandals and we have a great responsibility to be stewards of the land but you know here we are 18,000 hectares of the most fragile soils in the world and uh, you know we're being a steward that's improving that over time so if anybody asks me am I environmentalist well of course I am but I'm walking the talk I'm not just talking it. Tim Gleeson, 40 Harvests in. The business has grown enormously and clearly that's been through. A strong focus on skills and strong focus obviously in making the business work. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your journey with us in this AgVic Talk podcast. You're welcome, Drew. Thank you for listening to AgVic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm.
This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.